Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Iowa's News Now Sports has your all-access pass to all things Hawkeyes. This is Eye on the Hawks, sponsored by University of Iowa Healthcare. I was like, you're the man. You saved my butt. Um, Give him a kiss on the forehead in the locker room, too. You know, (laughs) but I was extremely stoked for him. You know, he deserves it. A guy who got on campus three months ago, maybe, the hero of the heroes game, Marshall Meter. Plenty to talk about him. Plenty to talk about as we recap that 13-10 Iowa win on Black Friday. Welcome to Eye on the Hawks. Mitch Fick, Owen Sebring, Mike Howell here. Uh, yeah, just pretty standard Iowa game. Really uh, nothing <laughs> out of the ordinary. Pretty straightforward at 71-2 and now since 2015 when leading at some point by eight points. Some games get a little more wild than others. Lots to get to, uh, lots to break down. Just the quintessential 2023 Iowa win. Uh, I think Mike put together some highlights. You just want to get into those and yeah, let's do it. Relive the one thing I'll say. Uh, Marshall craziness. after the game said he got on campus uh, what three days before school started. It started something something like that. I yeah. remember like a, a vague reference, like oh yeah, like we got a kicker from CMU in the transfer portal yes. or something like yeah. that. Just like kind of offhand game week because they brought in. I think there was another kid from Iowa Western, something like yeah. that. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I mean. If it's not for the gambling investigation and Aaron Blomstone on the roster, Marshall Meter's not here. Exactly. Yeah, probably yeah. not. Weird, wild yeah, stuff. I think it was. I think he said two weeks before. Yeah. Is when Levar texted him. Levar yeah. And yeah. uh, so here's a look back. Caleb Brown. We'll talk about him a little bit too because we're not sure about his situation. But this was the start of a just a rough day for Drew Stevens. You feel for the kid. He has been so clutch in certain situations, but one of two blocked kicks for him. Two kickoffs out of bounds. Just a struggle, and boy, there's Steven Stilianos. Wow. What a huge play that was. The second longest pass play for Iowa this year, and he almost got in for his first touchdown. <laughs> Did not unseat Zach Ortworth? No, that was still 53, <laughs> 54, whatever it was, but 37 yards, the second longest. Uh, the Deke sneak, working to perfection again. He had another streak in Deacon moment at 1.2, I think an eight-yard run maybe right here. Look at those feet. Look at wow. this kid move. Nimble. My favorite part is he says first down and he was a yard short. What do you got to the next hey, play? It's yeah. all about living with confidence, folks. <laughs> uh, Deacon Boy, some ups and downs for him as well, as we've seen uh, through his eight starts. Then, uh, boy, Caleb Brown, as he flashed, little pinball wizard there that set up what, boy, we felt like was going to be a, a great touchdown. Instead, Drew Stevens. Gets the opportunity to kick. That one goes through, and boy, that even that one felt a little, little shaky. At least watching on TV, I don't know how. You Did it really? Felt. Yeah, well, a, a little bit. This. I don't know. Maybe at that point, I was just feeling a, a little off. And then Chubba Purdy, boy, Mister Third Down. He was mm. eight for eleven for like one sixty and a score. That score there. He was good. Uh, and then LeSean Williams. Just when you start talking up, talking up Caleb Johnson and seeing how hard Jazz runs, LeSean reminds you he's he's kind of the number one back this year. And then. Drew again. This just, was a weird one. Just tough. Yeah, because he kind of got tackled and threw it forward. Why I walked in, but and then just the run, run for the ages, in between Ethan Hurkett's 
interception and Marshall Beater's debut, you get Leshawn Williams with the hardest 22 yards he'll ever run, and then whew, that was close. <laughs> I, I really <laughs> thought it didn't angle, go yeah. through from my angle when I first saw it. Um, Just wild. Marshall, like, Marshall Meter from the mean streets of Eaton Rapids, Michigan. A lot of people forget he was the 2021 Sun Bowl special teams MVP. That gets lost in the shuffle. <laughs> As Mike says, they don't just hand those out to anybody. <laughs> um, boy, they a do kid. Not. I, I don't know. So Steve Ferens, youngest son of Kirk, was a GA in Mount Pleasant at CMU. I think until like the spring of 2020. So I don't know if there was any sort of. And we need to talk about this kid's hair while he bring was back off. the mullet, <laughs> Marshall. Is, come on, why'd you cut a hair? He's wearing an offensive lineman's number <laughs> and rocking that kind of flow. Um, so here's me yesterday. I'm like, once we get back inside from the freezing cold, I'm like, okay, 92. I had to look it up. Marshall Meter, and then I Googled him, and this is the first picture that pops up. And as I'm it should like, be. oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> it should be Boy, his Iowa headshot. Again, Tuesday, I, you guys got to ask him about his hair. Yeah. Why did you cut it? Again, a kid who wouldn't be on the roster if it weren't for the gambling investigation. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> of course, this is how the final game of the regular season had to end to get to 10 wins for just the fifth time in the regular season under Kirk Ferentz, 2002, 2009, 2015, 2021, and now 2023. Uh, let's let's hear from Marshall and Deacon and Kirk about just, again, just a typical by the numbers, I will win to get to 10 and two in 2023. You know, my biggest thing is just staying ready no matter what. I was continually getting reps in the net and just ready for every opportunity. I'm really trying not to think about anything. Like, it's the same kick I've always made, like, it's just a little bit more pressure, but I try not to let that get to me, you know. You know, I feel like that's every kicker's dream. Like, I've always dreamt of that moment since I started kicking as a freshman, and I'm just happy to be there for my team and get that 10th win. Yeah, I had no worries at all. I know I know Marshall, love Marshall. He's a great guy. He works very hard. You know, he makes his kicks in practice when he's up there, so I had complete faith in Marshall that that thing was going in. Uh, not overly surprised, and... and you know, Drew just had a tough day today. He had a tough, tough day. He's been a really uh, good, good performer for us, and uh, just so consistent. But uh, the fact that you know he two kickoffs go out of bounds—that's not characteristic. So I just felt like maybe it's best to let him sit a little bit. And then the other component there was Marshall. Since he's shown up, uh, he's a delightful young guy. He's just a really good, you know, good young guy. Uh, he's had a great attitude since he joined joined us, and then. He's really, you know, performed really consistently. Both those guys have uh, basically since we got going in August. So uh, I felt like, you know, we had a, a pretty good backup plan there. He doesn't quite have the range that Drew has, but uh, what you see him do every day in practice, you know, makes you feel confident. And it wasn't exactly the cleanest field goal I've ever seen. It looked like the snap might have been a little low. Torrey does a great job, you know, getting it down. And uh, But it made it through the uprights, and that's all that counts. And yeah, you know, when he came in the locker room, you just uh, see how the players feel about him. It was a pretty good, uh, pretty good ovation. Yeah, that's a pretty cool moment there for a kid who again shows up late August, <laughs> gets into classes probably like the week school starts. Funny, uh, Blake Hornstein had a video of Kelby Tellander mm-hmm. basically not knowing that that wasn't Drew Stevens. Yeah. that because I'm sure like on the sidelines and in the chaos, like you don't know. It sounded like the PA guy at at Memorial State. I'm even like said, certain. I I don't have like a fact check, but I was uh, sitting there and I thought I said, Drew Stevens on for the field goal. And then I'm like, in my head, it was so cold that I, my brain couldn't function correctly. I'm like, 92 is not Stevens. <laughs> and I was like, who is this? <laughs> yeah. Just wild. But I think a lot of Hawkeye fans are asking, who is this? I think, or yeah, I think we saw somebody say that 
Dolph's first question to Marshall Meter was, who are you? <laughs> he, at last check, doesn't have a headshot on the roster. <laughs> no, that's true, because I, I went to his He's just got the Hawkeye, yeah. just the Haw- which they do for, like, walk-on freshmen yeah. so, or kickers that show yeah. up from Mount Pleasant, Michigan in late August. So some inter- some backstory on some stuff that he mentioned. On I think he spent the most time, other than Kirk, at the because everyone was just peppering him with questions. Yeah. Yeah. Who are you? Yeah. He's an Who engineer major. So like when he entered the transfer portal in April, he talked to a few schools and he said, it's kind of hard to find a school that has engineering. Sure. And he said he was going to give up football. Um, he was, he was ready to give up football. And he said like at that point in August, like in the early summer, he was kicking twice a week, just trying to stay ready. Sure. But then in August, he just like, I, I kind of stopped. And then when LeVar texted him, Hey, would you want to be a Hawkeye? And he said he went four times a week after that and just was ecstatic and then came. He said he arrived on campus three days before classes started. So, I mean, just kind of wild how that transpired. Just a text, just a simple text. Yeah. Hey, what's up? I, <laughs> I up did, for it? I did. I remember finding it interesting because I wrote the first time his name came on my radar was a week ago when. Senior day. It was senior day and I was writing down all the seniors. And did, did he actually come out for senior day festivities? I don't I know if like he actually. I feel like he did. Did he really? I wasn't there, so I, I think he did. I could not remember. I did not give video of him, but there's a lot, you know, senior day kind of moves quick when you're trying to give video of a lot of people. So he could have come out, but he, he could come back for another, I think, even two years of eligibility sure. um, because he, I think, 2021 and 2022, he played. Um, he played in 2020, doesn't count. This year would, you know, be a redshirt year since he hasn't played in any games until. Well, if he wants to come week. back, I assume he's been in school long enough. He's a legal drinking age. He'll never pay for a beer again <laughs> in Iowa City. Just, uh, again, the, the kicker's always Miguel never. Miguel Racinos, Keith Duncan, yeah, Marshall Meter. Mm-hmm. I was I was kind of asking, or me and Mike were talking about this yesterday to to see if you could rank those three kicks uh, as far as like either favorite, most memorable, most important, something. Keith blown kisses to the sideline is <laughs> so I I feel like yeah, it's beautiful. Un- unfortunately, and I don't know if it's because he was a one year starter or what, but like nobody talks about how gosh darn good Miguel Racinos was as a kicker. He was a great kicker. I yeah. couldn't even tell off the top of my head. Was it twenty eighteen? Twenty eighteen. Yeah. Yeah. He was great, but nobody yeah. nobody ever talks about him. All three of them are special to me. This yeah. one, I mean, this one because this I was just, there. This is just so random. Yeah, <laughs> it was totally random. Keith Duncan with the kisses, and then selfishly, I I once played pickup soccer with Miguel Racinos when I lived in Mason City because he's from player, yeah. yeah, he's awesome. Hmm. Uh, he was the best player on the field, but um, that that was a really cool moment too. Um, I, how how do you rank them? I mean, this one gets you to ten wins. We were chatting back and forth on the ride home, and we'll talk about this later. The ten wins thing, and I guess we could we could. But 10 wins is important to me as a fan, and I know, but it really doesn't do a whole lot to Iowa's situation. It doesn't change anything. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I remember, I think I talked about this last week. I remember after the Minnesota game in 2009, which put Iowa at 10-2, and and they lost Ricky to the injury against Northwestern, and James Vandenberg was out there making his second career start against Minnesota and all that. And I remember asking DJK about, like, you know, 10-2 is not perfect, but what does it mean to get to double-digit wins, and he's like, that's a big, big mm-hmm. deal. And that was only at 2009. That was only the second time Iowa had done that in the regular season. So yeah, it's uh, – I, I, yeah, I mean, big. just like I, I probably would rank it. You know, if it was Drew Stevens who'd made it, I probably would rank it at the bottom of those three. But the fact that it's a kid who had not been on a field in it, 364 days. Who was know, ready to quit the sport yeah, or just to retire, I suppose. First kick of the year, first kick as a Hawkeye, and it's one that puts him at 10 wins. Keeps Nebraska out of bowl game. 
<laughs> speaking That's of keeping, incredible yeah, stuff. Speaking of keeping Nebraska out of the bowl game, do you want to pull up? So Iowa put out a graphic as they do their, their right. final score, and there is a sizable amount of shade all over this, which kudos <laughs> to uh, Flight Creative and that group, uh, the in-house media team for the University of Iowa. I'm trying to find it. What was the graphic? Uh, it was the final score one oh, okay. of, yeah, of no, Memorial Stadium. So it's a shot of Memorial Stadium. And, uh, oh my gosh, I've never seen this yet. This there, is funny. Oh, you haven't seen this? No, I didn't. You, so you, if you can zoom in a little bit, we'll do this live. For those that aren't watching on YouTube or listening to this later, again, go to the Iowa News Now YouTube channel. You can see all the, the videos and everything we've got here. So we're taking a, a close look. So you've got the NCAA record for consecutive sellouts. And you see sellouts there in quotation marks. <laughs> I did not because, notice that. Because again, they've sold sold out every game for 396 consecutive games, but that stadium never looks full. I mean, there's empty it's, seats it's, in the in the image. Yeah, I'm sure that was planned. Yeah. <laughs> um, you see down in the lower right-hand corner, seven consecutive seasons without a bowl game. The train keeps rolling. Oh my train gosh, keeps rolling. this and is the, great. The fun thing under train keeps rolling is the acronym L-E-O- F-E-E. I have not confirmed what this means, but I believe what, and it first popped up, I, the first time I saw it was, I believe Jamari Harris and Cooper DeGene after winning, um, oh shoot, what game was it? What game was that? Right after, uh, oh, it might have been, might have been the Illinois game? No, maybe it won before that. Rutgers? Uh, Rutgers, it was after the Rutgers game. Um, I believe it means love each other, forget everybody else. Oh, okay. Do with that acronym what you will. Um, but it, it's come up more and more. I saw, saw it in that post, again, I think post-Rudkers, uh, Leo Fee popping up over and over, and now it's legitimately in, a, in an official graphic. Mm. Um, that feels like the mantra they've had, though. Yeah. And hey. Who are we to say what does and does not work in a crazy mixed up season? Work like for this. them. Yeah. You know, one thing that didn't get asked yesterday, and we were talking about it on the car ride home, <laughs> long car ride home, is who starts at kicker in the Big Ten title game next year or next week? Kick. Uh, Kirk made it sound like Drew just needed to sit for this game. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, again, you saw Marshall. You're a hero, but that was a <laughs> that that ball's not making it forty. Yeah, that was a close, close kick and. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe Drew just needed to sit and, and get his head right. And I don't know the thing Marshall said that I didn't cut into the highlight, um, the, the soundbite is at the end he said, like, you know, did Drew say anything to you? He's like, we were in contact the entire game. He's like, I wish it was, I wish it was Drew that made it. Sure. But this is a cool moment, you know, one of those things where yeah. he says they're they're pretty good friends. So that's good. I'm not normally the one coming in with kicking analysis. Um, however, speaking with uh, Curtis Fader last night, um, who was a high school kicker and knows a thing or two about kicking a football. Um, I mean, I mean, Kirk talked about the field conditions that they maybe weren't great. And Curtis said that like in some of the overhead shots of the stadium, he could tell that the field was garbage um, because like you can, you can right, And that's the thing is that you can see like different, like shades all okay. across the field where it's like the pellets are not evenly distributed yeah. all across the field. So there's like spots that are a lot darker and then spots that are a lot lighter. And, so the field was not, in his opinion, in, in great condition. That's interesting. Yeah. He did have like a, a blocked PAT last week, and mm-hmm. it just makes you wonder. Cause, and then he missed one the week before, didn't he, against Northwestern? He's missed a kick in four straight weeks, yeah. 
it's a it's a slump, and he's you know going into the Northwestern game, you would have thought he's all, he's usually automatic, you know, like you're confident. Then he hit the game winner against Northwestern, yeah. you know, still hit a field goal yesterday, and then that Nebraska kicker, maybe the field did have something to do with it. The Nebraska kicker kicked one of the worst oh, field goals I've ever seen. Like that was in, he missed it so bad to the left, like I could like something had to go wrong there, and I don't know what it was. I had to go back and look at it, but. Yeah. Well, it was next man in, certainly for Marshall Meter, not because of injury, but because of lack of performance. Deontay Craig was was in and out, it sounded like, against Nebraska. And so Ethan Herkett got a few more reps, leads the team in tackles, and makes one of the most improbable interceptions you'll ever see. Uh, the kid from Cedar Rapids, Xavier, who used to play linebacker for the Saints in Jim O'Connell's defense, playing a little linebacker again, getting the pick that changes everything. Ethan Herkett, Jay Higgins, afterwards talking about a play that, of course, it had to happen in this game where next man in has to be on full effect. We were in a blitz, and basically Nick Jackson, our linebacker, made a really good call, and that put me in the middle, like the middle zone on the field. So um, I was kind of just sitting back there in my zone, and I saw the ball get thrown. It was like almost in slow motion, and... Uh, Fortunately, God allowed me to catch it and uh, run a little bit afterwards. I couldn't really believe it at first. I was like, is this really coming right to me? And then uh, fortunately it did. Uh, we just sent the pressure from the field. Um, had the well backer take the wall seam flat into the boundary. Had Herkut take the middle of the field. Um, and with a D lineman in coverage, we're not asking for a whole lot. Uh, you you kind of want to, kind of want the pressure to help him out. But I mean, Herc has been talking about playing linebacker here since for the last four years. Uh, I think he made a pretty good linebacker play. And we heard earlier this year Seth Wallace say, or I believe it was either either Joe or Jay talk about how Seth always tells guys you need to hustle more like Herkett. Hmm. Yeah, maybe moving him into the linebacking room. That was pretty impressive, and, and what a moment. Mike just pointed out Jay Higgins. You could never tell that uh, just no celebration whatsoever. His dad, and you caught a great moment down there, Roy just so demonstrative and celebratory at all times, and Jay is just total even keel. Yeah, here's no the play on, on YouTube. I'll get a mouse off the screen. Just look at 34 afterwards. He just walks off the field like it's business as usual. <laughs> Everyone's celebrating. Oh, you know what? And Dwayne. Yeah. Dwayne Schulte, folks. I still... I can't get this phone to work. Anytime, <laughs> anytime I text Dwayne and it's blue bubbles, it still blows my mind that he has an iPhone. <laughs> I remember getting that the first time. He's like, how is this blue? He has... <laughs> he owns an Apple product? Um, this... This... That particular replay that you were just showing, um, somebody pointed this out on uh, Twitter and my replies to it, and th they made a really interesting point about it because, like, you know, I had a view right behind where Chubba Purdy was standing, and from his vantage point, you saw the ref standing right there kind of in the, in the middle, like, before the secondary. Sure. And then Ethan kind of, like, steps in just, like, right in front of where he, he would have seen the ref yeah. And so somebody thought, like, you know, maybe he saw the ref there and just, like, didn't, you know, he thought Ethan was the ref. Again, yeah, just you know, for a split like second, just saw a, a, a white a mass, shape. A mass yeah. there, yeah. <clears throat> so could have played a part in the interception. It's a good shot that Hawkeye football, um, it was from the broadcast. You can see him just drop back. I'll try and find it real quick. You know, they say he was in zone blitz. He was lined up as a defensive end and just kind of drop back. Here it is. I'll pull it up real quick. And again, he's not probably not in there on that. Well, maybe right he's got quite a bit of reps, yeah. but Deontay Craig was out, so I think he steps in and boy, just yeah. Chubba just saw a blitz, did not 
and he's like, okay, this guy underneath is 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 going to be open. And and if that if he wasn't there and that pass was completed, they would have had a decent game-winning field goal. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We talked about this a bit um, before we started recording, Mike and I. Brock Purdy, as great as he was at Iowa State, the best quarterback Iowa State's ever had, had some moments, some turnovers that were just inexplicably bad, including the final play of his Cyclone career in that Cheez-It Bowl loss to Clemson, where he runs for a first down and runs back losing yardage, and then the ball just kind of pops out. Chubba somehow, hereditarily, does kind of the same things at certain points, where it's just like, he plays great. Again, he was fantastic on third downs, and then there are just plays where it's the fumbles, and Castro forced one with a really great play, but like, yeah, just some plays where you're like, and Man, what happened? It's it's kind of the, I mean, is it is it not reminiscent? Of, well, as the Packers fan, is it not reminiscent of Brett Favre a little bit, like <laughs> a little gunslingery? Yeah, yeah, just like he does some things that are like they, you know, they might take a year off of your life with one of these plays that he runs, but he does some wild things that sometimes work out. Like, holy crap, how did he do that? Yeah, and then other times you're like, why was he doing that? Now, this, these past few games, though, I've really been impressed with him, and I think, and I like Matt Rule as a coach, just. I think he's a good coach, yep. and I'm kind of, you know, as a Hawkeye fan, worried about Nebraska long term. I think they're going the right direction. I think Purdy has a few more years. Um, you got to think he's the quarterback next year. Yeah. What he did for most part was good, and obviously limit the turnovers. And Nebraska probably wins the game. Yeah. Um, but you have to limit the turnovers, and some some quarterbacks can. Brock could do it, not against Iowa, but <laughs> like he's one of the best quarterbacks playing right now in the NFL right now. So I think he could do it. He's he looked pretty good for the most part. I saw a tweet once about Brock Purdy, and it felt right, where it was something to the effect of, Brock Purdy must be the most religious man in the NFL because he throws the ball with nothing but good vibes and a confidence that everything is going to work out in the end. Um, and <laughs> you see that maybe in, it's, uh, it's in the bloodline. Yeah, it's... Again, when he was on, particularly on third down, he was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, they limited the rush, though. He, he only had, I think, one like nice little 12, 13, 14, 15-yard run. Mm-hmm. Um, had a little bit of a one that he got outside the pocket and gained three right before the interception. But for the most part, Nebraska's running offense was capped up pretty good. Iowa had success. We'll talk about that after the break. Well, we talked about the running game really going to be important, as it always is for Iowa, trying to establish a good run game. We talked about on Wednesday how Nebraska was, I believe, sixth in the nation against the run, less than 90, less than 89 yards per game. And Iowa was able to find some some success, particularly through Leeshawn Williams, uh, 16 carries, 111 yards, or 11 carries, 116 yards, 16 for 111, uh, third 100-yard game for him. Uh, otherwise, Nebraska was pretty, pretty well capped. Thirty carries for seventy-five yards, longest of fourteen. That was a fourteen-yard uh, scramble by Chubba Purdy. Otherwise, no run longer than sixth. Hawkeyes afterwards about not just succeeding with the run, but capping it as well as they did. It was a counter. I was just being patient. Oh, I opened up a hole for me. I seen it and I just hit it. Got to get us the field goal range. I was trying to score truthfully, but yeah, they got me. Um. I mean, I got to get credit to the O-line. You know, they're giving me a lot of space, you know, where I feel like that's where I'm best at. They're you know, opening up a lot of holes. Um, me just, you know, having more experience and trusting, trusting the um, track and trusting the play call and really just running downhill. Yeah, it's just, I mean, we you come in the locker room, um, 
Uh, we, we gave up a big play, and obviously we want to limit those. And uh, I just looked at my guys in the locker room. I, I understood the assignment. We, I understood that I had a bunch of guys uh, ready to fight for the win. Uh, nobody nobody uh, started pointing fingers, and that, that's what we're all about. Um, I mean, we were defense, we were put in some tough situations uh, to, to basically win the game. Um, and I feel like we, we did a great job in that. 40 carries for 163 yards. Iowa as a team, 4.1 a carry. Um, Deacon again with a nice little scramble. Caleb Johnson, 10 carries for 30 yards. Caleb Brown, you saw 11 yards on a sweep. Jazzy and Patterson with five carries for six yards. Listen, it, it, it's one or two yards for a lot of carries, and then you go bust one for 53 or 22, and yeah, that's the chunk of your, your rushing attack, but those are the two plays that can make all the difference in the world, it feels yeah. like. Um, it, it's so weird with, with Iowa-Nebraska to go back to the ending of it that, like, I mean, I, I really was bracing myself. I, I think even going back to about the one-minute mark or 45 seconds or so, I thought it was really questionable on Kirk's part when I think Deacon got taken down for a sack and then Kirk called a timeout. And I'm thinking, like, bro, you better be hoping for overtime right now because you're about to have to punt the ball away and Nebraska's going to have a chance to come down here. You don't want to give them any more time than what they already have. Obviously, all worked out in the end, but... Nebraska is a team, it, it, this game reminded me so much of the season opener against Minnesota where everything needed to go wrong for Nebraska to lose that game, and it did. And it's the same exact thing seemed to happen yesterday where with 23 seconds left in the game or whatever, like the exact sequence of wrong things needed yeah. to happen for Nebraska to lose that game. Throwing an interception, big chunk play to get down in field goal range, and then a made field goal. I mean... It, they have to feel so snake bit at this point to like have all of these things keep happening that keeps them out of playing a postseason game. And one of the big talking points through all this was the fact that there was time on the clock for mm -hmm. Iowa to do all that. I talked to, to Mike a little bit about this and the awareness of the clock not starting in Memorial Stadium. What did you notice through that? Nothing at all. I, I did not know that that was the storyline until like two hours maybe after the game and oh, I wow. saw the ESPN article about it and said like, Clock blunder, you know, yeah. helps Iowa win game or something. I told you guys, I was next to Chelsea at nine, and I was sitting there, and it was a completed pass. It wasn't a first down, and I turned to her, and I'm like, why is the clock stopped? <laughs> you know, and it was stopped for a good five, what was it, 10 seconds total or 12? 12, 12, I think, yeah. And then they started rolling the clock, and at the time, I'm thinking, well, that benefits Nebraska. They, got, they don't have to burn a timeout. They get some time. Exactly. They can move down the field still, and it ended up, helping Iowa in a ironic way for the, I don't think the clock operator, I mean, I don't know him, maybe. I don't, I wouldn't assume that they did it on purpose. I wonder if they thought it was a first down because it was like second and short, wasn't it? Or I think it, was so. a second, it was a second down. Yeah. yeah. But no, I don't think anyone in the crowd kind of realized it either until after the game. And then I watched the broadcast this morning and That's they all were they right on about. it. Yeah. Really? All they talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Was, I mean that, can you if imagine if Iowa had lost that game on a game-winning field goal at the last second? Like, Kirk would have had some some I, I earth text, to scorch. I text to our gr group chat in there. I go, whoever wins this game, the loser is going to be real upset about that because whoever wins it benefited from twelve extra seconds, mm -hmm. it, particularly if it was in regulation. regulation. And that's another weird thing that happened. happened. I think just before then, when Purdy ran the ball and was just short. Then they come out, there's a false start, they go back five yards. And then they review the play. Yeah, me and Chelsea were talking about the entire time, like, 
can you review that after they call a penalty? And if and, it's gets and re- would rule try to get that reviewed had there not been a penalty? Exactly. Yeah. That I had no idea what happened there. Now, it's very in, strange. In the end, that never mattered because he threw a 16-yard pass like the next play. Yeah. But if they would have overturned that, it just makes you think like. Would the penalties still have happened? Did they put him back five yards but give him a first down? It's very. I'm learning so much about the rules. I honestly, I mean, there was technically no play that ran, so I guess they could review it. But there was a penalty. I, it yeah, just doesn't. A, a play ran. It was a penalty. Yeah, it was weird. I I don't know. I I do not envy being an official or a replay official or any sort of. There was rule there's a lot person. There's a lot of yelling from the Iowa sideline as that was going on. Kirk, I bet, yeah. Phil Parker, and Seth Wallace, and I mean, Phil seems, yelled, "Go on!" <laughs> it seems like everybody was was up in arms about them being able to review that play. That was weird. Well, speaking of being up in arms, Iowa's ten and two. There's a segment of the population who believes possibly another win could be out there. We'll talk about the. Uh, the situation as it is in reality, though, 10-2, and double-digit wins, again, fifth time in the regular season under Kirk Ferentz. Uh, Deacon Hill and company just talking about what it means to get to a double-digit milestone like that. Yeah, if you told me that at the beginning of the season, I would have told you you're nuts. But um, it means a lot. Um, I think it's just an attestment to the team and how hard we've worked since the beginning of January since I got here. Um, you know, me and the other transfers bought in immediately to what the culture is here. Um, and I think that's just how it's been, you know, me getting close to the team and progressing, trying to progress each week. I mean, there's not there's not a lot of Iowa teams uh, that can can say they had a 10 10 win regular season, uh, seven wins in the Big Ten. So we understood um, what, what we had at stake this game. Um, Nebraska, they they competed. Uh, we we knew we, they were gonna get we were gonna get their best game, um, just for what they what they had, uh, you know, bowl eligibility. Um, and then you know they always play us tough, so we we knew what we signed up for. And again, ten wins with everybody hurt. Yeah, I will say at the beginning of the clip, Deacon was asked what what, what it would or. Um, what if I told you, you know, at the end of this or before the season, if you'd be starting quarterback for a 10 win Big Ten, Big Ten team? And he was like, I wouldn't believe him either. I wouldn't believe it. <laughs> you lose Cade McNamara, Luke Lachey, Eric All. Caleb Johnson was beat up for a while. The offensive line has got some injuries, and we'll dive into that in a little bit. Caleb Brown didn't play the second half. You lose Cooper DeGene a couple weeks ago. Uh, Jamari Harris didn't play the first couple of games for suspension. Noah Shannon doesn't play at all. Again, knock on Jay Higgins and the linebacking core haven't been bit by the injury bug, but everybody else has, and this team won 10 games. I think that's why maybe we see Kirk as emotional as he has been. I mean, it's usually like the big games he gets emotional. We've seen it every single week, and I think it's because he has to know this team has every reason in the world to fold, and they don't, and they just keep figuring out ways to win. Mm-hmm. It's it's got to be. I mean, I I think he's Big Ten Coach of the Year, regardless of what happens in twenty minutes in in Ann Arbor. Because who in their right mind would think with a with backups galore, a kicker who walked in three months ago, you're going to win ten games with that? Because he's seen. Listen, Iowa will have I think almost unquestionably they have to a better offense in twenty twenty four. They'll do better numbers. I don't know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're going to be hard-pressed to win 10 games in the regular season in 2024. This team has defied every odd Mm. imaginable. Mm. And it's why, as much as we dissect numbers, 
sometimes there's, again, hallmarky. Sometimes there's just stuff you can't measure. Yeah. Just guys going out there and finding ways. And I think that's what makes him so emotional because he's like, I'm sure his intermonics log is just, how are we doing this? I mean, you know, you're getting guys in the right spots yeah. and guys are making plays, but like, you know, we, again, going 09, Ricky Stancy went out and that team was completely different. Granted, you're going from, I mean, it was another kid who hadn't taken any college snaps, yeah. James Vandenberg, but it changed that entire dynamic of that team. This team's lost seven guys like that. True, and they ended up ten and two. Yeah, a very different ten and two than that, <clears throat> and that Hawkeye team. I am certainly one who is given to hyperbole from time to time, um, and but I, yeah, I, I agree. I feel like this Hawkeye team, amongst all that Kirk has coached, among all that, I mean, you know, it's hard to ever say something all time with the Hawkeyes because it's like, well, what about that team in nineteen fourteen? That yeah, I don't know anything prior to the Hayden Fry era, really, um, but a team that has to go down as like one of the most unforgettable teams. I mean, not, certainly not like the best Hawkeye team, not ranking in that list, but just like how in the hell does this key, team keep making it happen every week? Um, I, I've referenced that Tim Tebow season with the Broncos in 2011 that I only remember because I'm a Broncos fan, yeah. but like people were just pulling their hair out. Like how did they keep coming back and winning these games? There was a final drive every <laughs> like for seven weeks straight. It was yeah. just... Tim's going to figure out a way and with then, 90 seconds left. And then against Nebraska, with 23 seconds left in the game, you get an interception and a chunk play from Leishon, and then a backup kicker who is not even going to be playing football four months ago comes in and makes a game-winning field goal. I mean, it's like it's un, like it's beyond comprehension what this team is able to do week in and week out winning 10 games. Do I think they will win another game this year? Bl- Bluntly, no, I do not think they're going to win another game this year. But still, getting this that 10-win plateau is really, truly remarkable. Not to mention, Nebraska, I'll use a term they used early in the season, they out-Iowa-Iowa Iowa yesterday. They blocked two field goals. Hmm. Um, they, I'm trying to think of everything that, that they did. It, it, they, they played really good defense for the most part, other than those, you know, a couple big chunk plays. And Iowa got the ball in the 10-yard line, I think, four times. Wow, really? Only scored one touchdown. I think I heard someone say that on the radio. I can't remember who exactly. Um, only scored at one touchdown, blocked the other two field goals. And like, so Iowa could have had a 20 to zero lead at, at some halftime. point. And then, yeah, Basically. and then it's over, you know, essentially. Yeah. But they stuck around. They came back. It was 10-10. And they had a chance to win at the end. And and then it just, they Nebraska. <laughs> they they out-Scott Frosted Matt Rule. <laughs> yeah. It's it's rare that Iowa gets outplayed in special teams uh-huh. and wins. It's kind of I mean, despite the last kick, I mean, Nebraska was fantastic in special teams. They were really great. But again, ten wins is awesome. Eleven wins is well, it's one better, isn't it? These go to eleven. Kirk Ferentz believes this team should be at eleven and one. And when he was asked about what it means to have a ten win season, he decided to revisit the uh, Cooper DeGene situation against Minnesota? Well, 12 would have been better. <laughs> you know, we've only done that once, and that's hard, uh, I can tell you. The, the, but, yeah, it means a lot because it's the best we could do after after losing to um, – yeah, I won't go down that road. I'm, I'm, we got screwed, okay? I'm, I'm just going to tell you we got screwed in that one uh, by a special – the uh, replay system. I'm, I'm still not happy about that, quite frankly. Um, so it's a different discussion for a different day. But – Nonetheless, it was a good season, and just yeah, really, it's it's special, really special. And I don't, I don't ever play that card, but I'm playing it right now. That that was that's still the most ridiculous thing I've seen in the last 
what's it, a quarter century? Okay, and take that replay stuff and blow it up, start over again. I mean, we were trying to make this stuff rocket science, and it isn't. It's football. Okay, yeah. um, I don't know if I can top that one, but... Yeah, I mean, yeah. Here, here's the other point. So we talked about the officials pregame, right? Since that game, still nobody has told us, you can't do this. That's a fair catch. Over the head, you know, two waves. It's, it's just, you know... <laughs> it's like, you know, oh, yeah, that happens all the time. That's a bunch of <laughs> I got to tell you. <laughs> Unbelievable. Okay. I was wondering what you were going to do for that last line. <laughs> you kept... You kept the button. He kept doubling back on himself like, oh, all right, that's all I'm going to say. But you know what really pisses me <laughs> off? <laughs> it was very, I, second time in like four days I've mentioned Ron Howard's Arrested Development narrator voice of just, I'm not going to go down that road. He did. <laughs> um, listen, at the beginning of the season, I picked Iowa to go 11-1 and and only lose at Penn State. And I'm hard-pressed to feel like I wasn't right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's brutal and it's part of the lore Maybe the, the clock situation in Lincoln is some sort of cosmic intervention to say, hey, like, got you once, but <laughs> the universe will balance things out. Yeah. Um, I do not blame him one bit for feeling like that. Yeah. And, and he's always been a, a little, as you heard him outline several times, leery about just the intervention of replay and what they're looking at and how they look at it and what they go in to start doing and what they end up coming out with. Um, Above all, poor Scott Doctorman, who just wanted to ask a football question, <laughs> who just kept getting interrupted. Um, and he's, yeah, um, just tough. I, I glanced over a few times because, of course, Beth Getz was in the post-game presser with us. And so at, at the times when he was saying that's a bunch of S and so on and so what forth. What did he say? Uh, like, I kind of glanced over her like, is she going to, like, is she, you know, no reaction. I mean, she was just kind of standing and watching it all unfold. I'm like... Wait, is she happy? Does she like? <laughs> she might like it. <clears throat> Kirk is Kirk is going into this now, but anyway, they afterwards they gave each other a, a nice embrace, and so it was lovely to see. But um, it was yeah. definitely a shocker when he went off on the tangent because I was like, and then I was like, wait, what did what did Steppy ask him? Oh, he just asked him about ten wins. Ten wins. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had to rewatch, and he's like, okay, it came up in his mind, and then he goes, all right. Because he said twelve would be nice, and then eleven, but we had eleven. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I think he's just echoing what a lot of fans are saying too, and. I, I, I tweeted it out on our station account and it kind of blew up and I've just been, all the Hawkeye fans are like, hell yeah, let's go brother. And then Gopher fans found it and they're like, well, actually in the letter of the law, it's like, get out of here. There was one that said like, my teenage nephew, my teenage son knew this rule. It's like, no, you didn't. Yeah. All right. You lie. An invalid fair catch. You didn't hear I've about it. I've learned more about what left arms can and cannot do in football in the last month and a half. Your teenage so. son don't know this. <laughs> I'm calling Cap. Oh, <laughs> He's it's, calling Cap now. It's part of the story of the season, I guess. Yeah. Just like the fact that this team found a way to win 10 games and still feels like they were slighted <laughs> is just... That's football, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, we got to do... We got to take one out of like Ohio State and Michigan's book. Hawkeyes against the world. Yeah. That's their, do, their mantras. When's the last time you heard Kirk drop a expletive in a press conference that like actually needed to be bleeped he said some some dams and some hells and some what else can i say on here can, can i say the a word <laughs> uh you can but i wouldn't because i don't want to have to uh mark a expletive <laughs> podcast so oh, he can say that he, he can drop the a bomb too but um i feel like i've never heard him say say the s word yeah you remember an occasion where he I mean, dropped I, i've been on the sideline close enough <laughs> to him that i know he's got a he's wide capable. range of vocabulary yeah i 
Kirk Ferentz is a human being just like everybody else, folks. He gets frustrated and uses the same language we do. Do it that way you will. Uh, it's, man, <laughs> just wild. I, I still, I, I feel most for Cooper. Just what an incredible moment that was. And again, 11-1, and one, we were talking before we came on. If I was going into the Big Ten title game 11-1, and one, they're probably, as wild as it sounds, they're probably ranked ahead of Penn State because Penn State would have two losses. Maybe 11-1, and one, maybe like around where Missouri is, like 8th or ninth, maybe 10th. And you're a win in the Big Ten title game away from if some other dominoes fall. Not only are you going for a New Year's Six game, you're playing for a shot at like that number four playoff spot. I'd be a little ticked off too. Yeah, I'm Kirk Ferentz. And you know, you know, you've had a season for the ages, and you're so proud of this team, and the fact that you still feel like there's a little, little meat on that bone that just that, that tells you what that that play and that ruling meant. And there could even be an argument that if they're a one-loss team right now going into the Big Ten title game, let's say they lose 35 to three to Michigan next week. I think they could still make a case for a New Year's Six game if yeah. they're if they're your only losses, eleven and two. Your only losses would be to Michigan, who's a playoff team, and a number eleven or twelve Penn State team, whose only losses are two Michigan and yeah. one, if not two playoff teams. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean that's that that still could be a very legitimate axe to grind for for Iowa yeah. fans. And uh, by the sounds of it, the the sharpener will keep going for <laughs> as long as they want. We do look ahead to the Big Ten title game, and again, in 13 minutes in Ann Arbor, Ohio State and Michigan will kick off for the for the right to play Iowa in Indy next Saturday, 7 o'clock on, on Fox 28. We'll see what Iowa's injury situation looks like. It sounds like Deontay Vines is going to be back. He's missed the last couple with an injury. Logan Jones sounds like he'll be back. Again, Tyler Ellsbury stepped in and was terrific, as he has been the last few weeks. Caleb Brown did not play in the second half. Deontay Craig did not play uh, a big chunk of the game yesterday. So we'll just. I don't think he played at all. Did he not play at all? Yeah, I think I heard someone say in the in the media room that he didn't get a snap. Deontay Craig. Uh, yeah, no. They no, both warmed no defensive up. Defensive stats or anything. Yeah, so I'd imagine maybe not. And Herkett and Graves were out there a lot. Yeah, yeah. Graves. I, Graves I have had to look nice up. Game. I don't Graves know. Has been actually, very quietly having an awesome year. Yeah. Again, one of those that the. The numbers aren't there. Joe Evans was beat up at some point. I saw him get up and move really slowly. Mine's might be the most important piece because if Brown's not healthy, in yeah. the sec- if Brown's not healthy in the second half, we had Caleb or sorry, Nico, Bostic, and who else was the receiver? I'm blanking on. At any rate, it's like they could. Jared, Jared Bowie out there. Seth would have Seth been. Out Anderson, there. Yeah, Seth Anderson. Sorry, nice Seth, those three were out there. I don't, Seth always has one catch for like 15 yards. Yeah. he'll make a nice first down grab, and then you don't hear from it's him again. It's just we need someone who can create separation, create plays, and Caleb was that guy. So, and hopefully Vines would come back and do that too. But yeah, hopefully I, I'm. I wonder if part of this is just like, hey, like let's not throw in a guy and banged up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to I, just let's let's make sure our. We're as healthy as we possibly can be yeah. going into Indy. As much as this was not a week to like, you know, rest our starters, et cetera, like, you know, a guy like Vines or even Logan Jones, maybe that is like on the verge yeah. of being healthy, like maybe want to leave those guys out of there. And to Jones's part, like Ellsbury's played, like I feel like he missed a step. So, like, why, you know, you can afford that. Yeah. And same with Vines. Brown has been playing outstanding. Yeah. And again, Jacob Bostic, who has been so banged up, kid from Pal- uh, Palatine, Illinois. <clears throat> Who I man, I feel like if he's healthy, he he can be he can be a dude that does something. He's been out there getting reps with the ones, and hopefully he can do something. Jarrett Bowie's had some some reps with the ones as well. And Seth Ant, man, 
would love to see Seth have a four or five catch game yeah. where, where he goes off and, and maybe a big stage gives him that opportunity. The yeah. one, the ones, or did we want to take an ad break and then talk more injuries? Yeah, we can. Okay. Oh yeah, I skipped over an ad break. <laughs> we'll be right back. Bauman's has been selling quality clothing for over 100 years. We carry a wide selection of men's and women's clothing. We recently expanded to offer a great selection of shoes and accessories. We have the area's best selection of both big and tall and can outfit anyone from the farm to the office to a casual night on the town. Bauman's is a proud family-owned business and we're excited to continue the tradition of quality clothing and unmatched customer service since 1909. Visit us for all your clothing needs. As I was saying, um, the, one, the one step that Tyler Ellsbury did miss yesterday, and I don't know if this, you got a chance to see this on the TV broadcast or how visible it was, but I was back behind the end zone when I was backed up on their own like one, two, three yard line. Um, and Deacon had that play where he stumbled. Nobody is better at handing off or tossing a ball <laughs> while at a 45-degree angle to the ground than Deacon Hill. He did it twice yesterday, and he averted disasters, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah this is the one. I mean, It would have been a safety. Yeah. yeah. And it was 10-10 at the time. And that, So that actually only happened because Tyler Ellsbury stepped on his foot right after the snap. Um, Ross Tucker on the broadcast was adamant that that's always, and Ross Tucker's a former offensive lineman, that that's always the quarterback's fault for not clearing Really? Legs out. Interesting. Again, there have been some... He made a good point, right? Because he said, like, the, the linemen have to pull and do their work, so the quarterback yeah, has, so to, get your feet has out to get out. I don't know. Deacon's been blamed for some weird stuff. Going back to the Wisconsin game where he, like, Brock Heward basically blamed Deacon for leading Eric all into a hit when the guy went low on him. I don't know. It was... I, I do not envy the job of the national broadcast guys who have to come in and learn everything about a team and, like... CBS Sports had a graphic up for Iowa's defense. I don't know if you guys saw this. Uh, the two players they decided to put on the graphic for Iowa's 2023 defense were Cooper DeGene, which I can understand, and Noah Shannon, who, if you're just watching from home, uh, Noah Shannon hasn't played a snap in a year. Did they mention any of that? No. <laughs> I, I, but again, I don't, I don't envy the national folks who are expected to know everything that we know mm -hmm. in a span of like 96 hours. And that's... and. Again, a little inside baseball here. That's the graphics department that's just looking for. I'm guessing they just look for like most popular names on Iowa's defense. And I'm guessing Shannon would have been a really still. easy one to like not. Yeah, that's yeah. the one you're like, oh, like Cooper, I get like he's been out there quite a bit and he's still one oh. of Iowa's most impactful defenders, even though he's not playing. But like Noah Shannon hasn't played in a year. Or I wonder if there were notes and the broadcasters just didn't, you know, if it was like the producers put, hey, mention that he's been out there. And the it, was a, it was a Noah studio. Shannon. It was a studio graphic too. It was oh, like okay. at halftime. You were just like, yeah. So how do you not know? <laughs> there was a graphic that I saw during the game, my rewatch this morning, that I thought was just amazing. The trivia question, <laughs> Mitch, you probably saw this. UCF in yeah. 2008. Owen, guess this. Um, it was it under two, 250 or 280? What before Iowa? Yeah. In 2023, what was the highest? What what did UCF number of games they won in 2008? That was the record for a team that had average less than 250 yards offense a game so most wins for a team that averages yeah less it was, than is yards. ucf central florida in 2008 <laughs> because iowa averages like 240 something 246 yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was it like you know five four it was four and and they're like iowa has not was, yeah. was that kevin smith on that ucf team too oof you could not I don't have any UCF uh, <laughs> yeah. four and eight How do you knowledge like you're really disappointed <laughs> me not knowing anything about this 2008 I'm going to look them up. So, yeah, 4-8, George O'Leary, the infamous George, George O'Leary, uh, was their coach. Oh, was he the resume guy? 
He was the resume guy. I forgot about uh, it. They, they won their opener against South Carolina State, which is an FCS school. Um, beat SMU. That, that was their season high for points. They scored 31 against SMU. And then back-to-back road wins at Marshall and at Memphis. Only podcast in America that will break down a 4-8 and eight UCF team you guys <laughs> from 10 years ago. Commanding it 15 years ago. We're not 15. that young. Give the people what they want. That, uh, boy, again, that's... I've brought this up before. The idea that Iowa is what they are, they've won 10 games, and they make the other team play this style every single week. Like, that to me is the fascinating part of it, is not being mad that Iowa can't move the ball. I mean, they can't move the ball sometimes. But the idea of, like, they force every team, including whoever they play in Indy, to play this style of football because the defense is just so darn good. Like that, that's admirable to me. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, a, another question I wanted to bring up to you guys uh, that I've been stewing on since last night. So in, in the tweet where I, I, I put together just some video of Marshall making the kick and then some uh, just post-game shots of him celebrating and everything, and, and one of the things I mentioned in there is I was like, you know, this one kick, this one moment makes Marshall an Iowa legend. And people are mostly Cyclone fans are in the replies like, oh, he's a legend for beating a 5-7 and seven team. Oh, he's a legend for beating a team that can't even get to a bowl game. Oh, he's Niall Kinnick already, huh? And I'm like, I guess I don't know. Again, maybe, maybe I'm too prone to hyperbole, but I feel like Marshall Meter is a name that no living Hawkeye fan right now will ever forget. Yeah, like it, it's a legend in the sense that he's, <clears throat> he now goes into the lore of guys who have beat Nebraska on a last-second kick. Like... Like, would you remember? Yeah. I mean, we would, and fans would, but Miguel Racino's name, you know? Yeah. Like, he, he was a good kicker for a year or two. Yeah. Um, I think he's a legend in the sense that, yeah, he becomes part of the lore. You know, is he a legendary player? Did he have a legendary moment? Yeah. I would argue the moment. Like, <laughs> the moment, yeah. yeah. Now, listen, let's not, let's not sleep on Marshall Meter and what he might be able to do. <laughs> again, a dude who, and again, the narrative is part of that, too, and that's, that's what makes this team so fun it's what makes covering sports on a daily basis fun is finding the stories that just kind of boggle your mind this dude who is an engineering student who was ready to give up kicking three months ago just gets a text from lavar woods and now we're talking about him and arguing about what his legend is yeah i mean that's yeah that's the fun stuff it's the it's the transfer and it's the off the bench thing that maybe to me even makes it yeah more legendary than miguel racinos or Keith Duncan has a legendary kissing moment. If he doesn't blow kisses, maybe it's not <laughs> quite as memorable. But yeah, I, I do think that like, yeah, he's, no, he's not Niall Kinnick. Let's not build a statue sure. to Marshall Meter quite yet. But um, I, yeah, I feel like he's, when your name is remembered for decades for, by Hawkeye fans, I think that you qualify as legend sure. status and Marshall Meter might be that. A lot of legendary moments in this season. I, you could probably argue there are very, very few legendary players. I would argue Jay is one of them. Yeah, um, he is now, I believe, tied with Iowa tight ends coach Abdul Hodge for fifth all time for single season tackles. Mm-hmm. I believe he's at like 141 or something. Yeah, um, right. yeah. It, I mean, but there, it's just been guys stepping in. This is such a cool moment that Mike got um, with Roy Higgins, his dad. Who then you can overhear him basically saying like. Here's how many tickets I need for Indy. <laughs> yeah. It was a very, fun, very funny moment. He's like, I got 40. I need 100. Oh, I didn't I realize his hat more. says Higganized, which is his Twitter does. handle. It's, it's still wild that... <laughs> He's a brand. That Roy is probably still more recognizable than his son. He's talked about on Twitter of how, like, 
guys will come up to him at restaurants after the game. We're like, hey, like, tell your kid he's doing a heck of a job. And Jay's right there. <laughs> uh, super, super cool. Um, and we've talked to, I think you, you got the soundbite from him of Jay being like, yeah, my dad texts me the, the list of single season tackles and I just have to scroll past it. Yeah. Um, super fun, super cool moment. And uh, the Higgins are heading home. Yeah. And we are heading to Indy 2 uh, on Friday. That's where our coverage will start. Uh, Friday from Indianapolis ahead of Iowa against either Ohio State or Michigan in the Big Ten title game. Uh, Going to be a lot of fun. We'll have some some player interviews and, and talk to Kirk on Tuesday. I believe tomorrow there's a Zoom with Kirk and whoever the other coach is going to be. So we'll have some some stuff there for you Sunday night and Monday of, uh, as well. Uh, I haven't been to Indy for a Big Ten title game since 2015, and I was covering Michigan State at the time. But that is, I remember that was the moment where, and I think we talked about this earlier, Iowa fans drank Indianapolis dry, and who who knows what happens here in 2023. It's going to be cool. going to be fun. Final thoughts from you guys. I'm excited to watch the game. That's starting in two minutes. Um, But the season's been, I mean, for all the injuries that happened, you know, after the Minnesota game, too, we're like, you could still win 10 games. And I don't think any of us thought they actually were going to do that. And each game has been like just a brutal battle. It's been fun to watch. And I'm excited to go. I think if we're being honest, too, like I don't think many people actually think that Iowa has a shot next week, no matter who wins. Um, but I think the players believe they will. Mm-hmm. And if the offense can get some first downs and capitalize off some mistakes, you know, who knows? It could be a game in the second half. I'll put nothing past this team. What do you think? Yeah. Um, I, last week when we were talking about the things that we were thankful for with this Iowa team, I think I said exciting games, games that do not (laughs) disappoint, um, games that are painful to watch, but also uh, exhilarating. And we got just one more added to that list on Friday. Uh, Maybe one of the best yet. Um, That, that, hmm. That might be my favorite Iowa game this year, that, that Nebraska game. I'd have to think on that. It just occurred to my mind. But I think that might be my favorite Iowa game this, this season um, for covering and watching and being there for it. Defense it was a fun trip. Game, special teams, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. I mean, yes, Iowa is going to be like a colossal underdog. All, the, all these historic uh, underbets. There, will, that, not, there <laughs> will not be a historic under, though, <laughs> there will because not. of the other team. Um, it, it will probably be lower than, uh, you know, Probably like 38 and a half, 37 and a half. I, w- I think it's going to be in like the 40s, 42. And that's still with Ohio State or Michigan will be like pretty high. <laughs> or pretty yeah. low, I mean, for one of those two teams. Maybe it's 38. That's why I think though. it's yeah, high yeah. 30s. We'll see. They're, they're kicking off right now in Ann Arbor. Yep. So whoever whoever wins that will head to Indy as well. Again, we'll be there Friday starting our coverage. I've already got one interview set up for Indy that I'm super excited about. And we'll, uh, we'll keep getting those our coverage ready and we'll we'll bring everything for you there on friday but of course we'll preview the big 10 title game coming up on wednesday on eye on the hawks thanks to everybody for listening and for subscribing and for pushing up that twitter fandom that was awesome uh to see thanks kirk yeah thanks kirk (laughs) we're over what like 370 now something like that yeah pretty wild been a heck of a ride so far let's play two more games we'll start next week too we'll see you wednesday with the next edition of eye on the hawks